Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Ruth. We continue our study in the book of Ruth, getting ready to begin a new book of the Bible, preparing for Easter, looking forward to Easter, Uh, already working on the Easter message and cannot wait till Easter arrives. In just a couple weeks, we'll observe the Lord's Supper on April the 10th. So we have a lot of things ahead of us over the next few weeks leading up to the Easter Sunday morning service. It is one Sunday, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, that people will consider coming to church Easter and Christmas. And so you have a perfect opportunity to invite someone to church on that Easter Sunday. And may we all be willing to do that at our workplace, our neighbors, our co-workers, our favorite Uh, our favorite person uh, at the restaurant. Let's all be busy inviting people to church. All right, looks like everyone's situated. Please take good notes this morning. I trust this message will be a help to all of us. Uh, It goes, the message goes right along with the theme of the music this morning. We're now in the third message uh, on the book of Ruth. Uh, This small book just has four chapters, but I have discovered there's a wealth of information. This morning, I'd like to begin with a question. Here's the question. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, whether uh, someone comes and makes an offer, whether it's a family friend, uh, and uh, and they want to make you a deal? And here's the answer to that. We usually think, what's in it for me when someone tries to make a deal with you? And as we examine a portion of the last chapter of the book of Ruth, we see this very reaction in what's referred to as a kinsman redeemer uh, whom Boaz mentioned to Ruth uh, when they had their midnight encounter that we looked at last week. And I I, I appreciate the feedback from last week as many of you uh, said that you learned something new in last week's message. Well, we come to the end of chapter 3 and we find Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, they're waiting. They've had the midnight encounter. They're waiting for the next important development in their lives. And, and uh, that is, is that Boaz, Boaz must ask the nearest relative on Naomi's side to redeem, to buy back the land. And with that, she, that, that kinsman redeemer must take on Ruth as a wife. That's the stage where we come to chapter 4. So I'm going to ask you to help me. Uh, We have eight verses to read. We'll do a responsive reading this morning. I'll read the odd verses. You read the even verses down through verse 8. Ruth chapter 4, and we'll understand the story as we read through it. Together, and if you do not have a Bible, there's one in the row where you are seated or even on the uh, screen behind me. Verse number one, then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by and to whom he said, oh, such a one, Uh, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And 
Then he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was her brother's Elimelech's. Then said Boaz, What day that thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and that was a testimony in Israel. Does anyone find any humor? So we're going to start exchanging shoes in our church when we make agreements. You take off your shoe and you give it to someone else. That was the handshake. What an unusual, unusual way to do business. Father, I pray that you'll help us now as we do our very best to help others understand your word. Father, there are folks who are struggling. I think of the Blairs and their daughter who's so sick. I just pray that you will give grace and mercy in her situation. We think of others who are having family struggles and teenagers in our ministry who are having struggles. Parents with their children. Lord, there's so much to be discouraged about what's happening in our country. As it seems to be sliding precipitately to a place where it cannot return to thee. But Father, we know that if Christians will simply stand up that we can see you bring a revival back in our land. We're a needy people. And Father, we can even learn through your word how to be encouraged and helped. And I ask that you will help us do that very thing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the story. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth. Boaz is at the gate of the city of Bethlehem waiting for the other redeemer or relative to pass by. And when he said... Uh, when he did pass by, Boaz said to him, Hey, friend, stop. Wait a minute. Sit down here. And that friend stopped and sat down. And Boaz had gathered ten elders or ten men of influence in the city uh, for this important meeting. Now, we have to go back into the culture and context of several thousand years ago. Today, we have a courthouse. There are lawyers and attorneys and offices that we would go to conduct business. And, and uh, that was not the case in this time and culture, as we just read about how that they exchanged shoes, uh, which would have been used to seal a deal. Here's where business was conducted. 
Every city had gates. And many of us, we have traveled to Jerusalem and we've driven all the way around Jerusalem and we have seen all the beautiful gates. Business was conducted at the gates. In fact, the Bible even says in the ancient days that a city gate served as the town hall in the book of Proverbs, or a courthouse in 2 Samuel, um, and even where civil cases were judged in the book of Proverbs. So you might be wondering why Boaz would call his, his uh, relative just a friend. Uh, wouldn't he know his name or uh, doesn't the writer of the book know his name? Here's what's interesting as I think and study and meditate on this book is that the name of this person is insignificant. Uh, Boaz tells this friend that Naomi is selling her deceased husband's land out of necessity. And Boaz then offers the relative to redeem. We know the word redeem means to buy back, to buy back this land for Naomi. By the way, that was the law. In Leviticus chapter number 25, it says, If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. In other words, to buy it back. So upon hearing Boaz's offer uh, for him to redeem Naomi's lamb, this relative, this, this friend, readily accepted it. Hey, this is a great deal. He hadn't waited to hear the second requirement. As we mentioned a week ago, the second requirement was simply this, that if a wife uh, dies without a son, the brother of the deceased man shall take the widow as his wife. That is to raise up a new name. It comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 25 where the word of God says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, take her uh, to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which uh, she bears shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. It's a strange practice. We certainly do not do that today. But that was the culture of this time period. So with this reminder of the requirement, Naomi's relative, he balked. He said, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. What was he saying? He was concerned that his inheritance would be ruined. He was concerned that it might be even destroyed. If he had other children, they would not inherit Naomi's lamb, since Ruth's son would be the heir. Also, worse yet, Ruth's son would not only be entitled to Naomi's portion, but Ruth's son would then be entitled to part of his own uh, uh, property. So he determined that this whole transaction would be of no profit for him. I'm not interested. And at, at the end of the book, we will see that because of Boaz's honorable character, Boaz's name became renowned in Israel. And guess what? We're talking about it today. In the year 2022, and we still do not know the name of the other man. I've entitled this morning's message, A Good Name Will Be Known. A Good Name Will Be Known. And to make my case, we're going to examine the three central characters of the book of Ruth in a different way, in a different light this morning. We've tried to hit the book of Ruth from different angles, and this morning, I'd like to do that as well. Let's look at, first of all, this morning, the character, Naomi, and I use this word to describe her, restoration restoration. 
After Naomi's relative passed on his kinsman redeemer duties to Boaz, Boaz, he summarizes the transaction before all the elders and other witnesses. And I ask you, where were they located? They were where? At the gate. And so Boaz is talking to these ten witnesses at the gate. And he, and he then says that he will purchase Elimelech's property from Naomi. And he will take Ruth the Moabite as his own wife. And that was specifically, as the Bible says, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And so after Boaz's explanation, the elders, they attested to this transaction. And they granted a blessing to both Boaz and Ruth. So then we go to the next scene, which is in verses 13 through 17 of Ruth chapter 4. Now please bear with me. This little portion of my message and, and a little bit with Ruth, it, it's a little tedious. But as I study this and I break this down, it's amazing some of the things that you can learn from the Word of God. In this next section here, Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. The Lord gave her conception, as the Word of God says, and she bare a son. This is only the second time in the book of Ruth that God is mentioned directly in this drama as it unfolds. And the first time was in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6, when God said that the famine was abated and there was food in the land. It was at this time that Naomi, after losing her husband and both of her sons, decided to go back to the promised land. Now we fast forward to chapter 4 where you are uh, located and God again acted to repay Ruth's faithfulness to him by opening her womb and God gave uh, 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 Ruth a husband and as a result uh, a, a son. The next four verses are striking in that Naomi, not Ruth, is featured. In verse number 14, after a child was, was born to Ruth, the woman of the town blessed the Lord uh, and uh, for providing a kinsman redeemer for her. They also blessed the newborn son, saying, May his name be famous in Israel. Redemption for Naomi consisted of two things. That is this, her land was not sold to another person, but it was kept within her family. And the name of her husband, Elimelech, was perpetuated by Ruth's child who was born. And so in verse number 15, the child is called this, a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine own age. This means that the child caused life to return to Naomi. Do you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at this. When Naomi and Re uh, Ruth returned to Bethlehem, um, uh, Naomi was bitter. She, she had a problem in the fact that the years had taken its toll on her body. In fact, she even said, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. God restored the sweetness and fullness of her life uh, to, to, to her through a child. The restoration did not end there for that emptiness of losing her husband. And two sons was also reversed. Now she has a daughter whose steadfast love for her is much more than the seven sons could give her. And we have to understand that seven sons represent fullness of life. Naomi would be restored in her old age, uh, not only by Boaz, but also with a child through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Just like the grandmothers in here, 
You love your grandbabies. Naomi cared for this child like she, like this, like she was the mother of, of this child. The woman even said this. This is interesting. Ruth wasn't mentioned. The Bible says this in Ruth chapter 4. There is a son born to Naomi. It was through Ruth that God gave Naomi that rest that she longed for. And it was a custom in those days for the women of the neighborhood to give a child his name. Just as uh, that story in the New Testament when Elizabeth's child was to be called Zachariah. But the parents called him John the baptizer as the angel had commanded them. But the women of Naomi's neighborhood, they named this child Obed. That's significant. Naomi lost so much, but it was just like in that book of Job. God restored and God refreshed and God redeemed Naomi. Now we move to the second character in this book, and that is the character of Ruth. I would like to use the word remember. Remember. The restoration of Naomi at the city gate after Boaz confirmed with the elders his decision uh, to be uh, Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Uh, Now the elders, they blessed Ruth. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite. She was of the enemy of Israel. Ruth 4 and verse 11 says, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah. Now let's stop right there. If you look at those verses, the elders say this. I want you to remember this woman like Rachel and Leah. I have to confess something. When I read Ruth chapter 4 and I get into this section, I have to ask this question. What in the world does this have anything to do with the story of Ruth and Boaz. Well, let's break this down. So in their prayer of blessing to Ruth, the elders recall the two mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Like Ruth, Rachel and Leah, they were both barren until God opened their wombs. Think about this great truth. Leah bore a son whose name was Judah, who was the ancestor of Boaz. Then in verse number 12, the elders prayed this, Let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar uh, bare unto Judah, of the seed which, of the, uh, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Who in the world is Pharez? Is there anyone that could stand up and say, I know who Pharez is. I've done a Bible study on him. He's just one of the great characters of the Old Testament. Here in the book of Ruth, it is written, Hey, let's be reminded, let's remember Pharez, is it important to this story of Ruth? Now, I know some of you, you like fancy stories that make you laugh and cry. We're just got to, we're going to have to do a little study here. So just bear with me as I share with you the importance of this little section in verse number 12. Let thy house be remembered like the house of Pharez. The elders recall the descendants of Pharez who were mentioned in good light in Israel. But who was Pharez? Pharez was one of the twins who were born out of an incestuous relationship between Judah and Tamar, Judah's own daughter-in-law. In verses 18 through 22, the writer lists the generations of Pharez, all the way to King David, who became the ancestor of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Matthew chapter 1, we read the full genealogy of Jesus, beginning with Abraham to David, all the way to Joseph, uh, uh, the husband of the Virgin Mary. What sort of people are mentioned in this genealogy? 42 names in all. We see a few righteous people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We see Boaz and David uh, mentioned. We see some kings like Asaph and Jehoshaphat and Uzziah and Jotham and Hezekiah and Josiah and Joseph himself. But all the rest of the names in that, li- name, in that list of 42 names are evil. They're, they are people of dubious character in Israel. There are also five women who are mentioned in the list. Those women are Rahab and Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Rahab and Ruth, possibly Tamar, they're Gentiles. You've been in church long enough to know that Gentiles and Jews do not get along. All five are of dubious character, whether true or not. Rahab was a prostitute and a Gentile who became a believer. Ruth was a Moabite, an arch enemy of Israel, who also became a believer. Tamar was not a prostitute, but pretended to be one to have a child with her father-in-law, Judah. Bathsheba had an adulterous relationship with David. Overall, Jesus' ancestry has much to be desired. It is a mixed group of righteous and wicked people that include a prostitute and adulterers and warriors and heroes and villains and Gentiles. I got all of that out of verse uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. Here's what's interesting. Why would God include evil people in the human ancestry of his most holy, sinless son who came to save his people from their sins? Why would God do that? The ancestor of Jesus that includes Ruth and Boaz points us to several things. Let me mention four things that I think are true of this story this morning. First, as we've seen in the life of Naomi, Ruth and Boaz, God uses sinful human beings to accomplish his salvation plan. May I just say, I'm thankful for that because every one of us were a sinful human being this morning. And no matter who you are, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever this morning... God has a purpose for you. I see in this story, even if you think you're hopelessly an evil person and that God could never save you, and maybe you're watching by live stream and you stumbled across our live stream and you say, hey, I'm a wicked, evil person. God could never use you. You use me. You don't know the things that I've done. I don't know, but here's what I do know. God is able to save you from your sin. There's hundreds of people here this morning that that is your testimony that God has saved you from your sin. There are countless people who have lived wicked lives whom God saved by his grace and his mercy and his love. And until you breathe your last breath, God is able to save just as he saved the dying thief on the cross before he slipped into eternity. I'm thankful this morning that there's no person that God will not save. A third truth that I can see from this story is that Jesus' ancestral line tells us that the righteous can bear evil children. Hmm, what's significant about that? And vice versa, it would go. But, but just look at King Hezekiah, one of Israel's most righteous kings. He had a son, Manasseh, who led Israel astray to do more evil than the nations had done. And so with righteous King Josiah, who bore Jehonah, who was so evil that God let his dead body rot, unburied, and cursed his kingly line. But we also read of 
uh, of the wicked King Abijah who fathered godly King Asaph or of evil Manasseh who was the father of Amos, another good king. This list should comfort us as parents who blame ourselves when perhaps our children go astray. Or as children, we're thankful that God was merciful in saving us, even when our ungodly parents did not raise us in the nurture and admonition or discipline of the Lord. I'm just here to say that, that we learn much from the ancestral line of Jesus. There's a fourth and thought here when I think of remembering what God has done. Jesus' ancestry is a picture of the kind of people he came to save. Jesus' ancestry is a picture of the kind of people he came to save. All kinds of people. Some of them are godly, others are self-righteous, and still others are evil. Men and women, Jews and Gentiles, the rich and the poor, kings and peasants. Ruth and Boaz had a part in the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There's not a one that's more important to Jesus here this morning than another. We are all to be reminded that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And he desires to save everyone. Saved and forgiven in Christ, we stand righteous before God and without any distinction. And that is our comfort this morning in Christ. And may we remember that this morning. You see, Naomi, we see restoration. In Ruth, we're reminded of the history lesson that takes place in her life. But all were introduced to a man named Boaz. Boaz. What he did was amazing. If you really think about him taking up Naomi's defense, he was willing to take this widowed lady and marry her. And what I see in Boaz is the perfect description as redeemer. He was a redeemer. To affirm that agreement between Boaz and Naomi's relative, there's a strange custom. We read about it in verses 7 and 8. The one releasing his kinsman redeemer rights will give his sandal to the one claiming the rights. And this custom is not found in other places in the Bible, but a related law that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. So after this exchange, the elders and other witnesses, they express their prayer of blessing to Boaz. And Boaz is already uh, known to be a man of worth and excellence. But the people affirm this and they pray that he will continue to act worthily. And so uh, their other blessing was fulfilled. And listen to this, because of Boaz's godly heart, filled with compassion and kindness and integrity, his name is now renowned. His name is now famous today. Um, uh, but certainly in Bethlehem, Boaz is remembered for what he did. Boaz was the redeemer. And since he became the ancestor of the Savior of the world, his name is now renowned among all nations. In contrast, think about this. The kinsman redeemer that we do not have a name for, Mr. So-and-so, John Doe, friend. Hey, ho, stop there. Whoever this person was, we do not even know his name um, because he was not interested in taking Ruth to be his wife. 
The conclusion of the book is another genealogy, but it is the genealogy of Perez, one of the twin sons of Judah and Tamar. And notice that there are ten names listed. The number ten symbolizes completeness. The life of Ruth and Naomi are now complete with the birth of a child through Boaz. Their son Obed is the grandfather of King David. Uh, The book of Ruth concludes with the name of a godly king, King David. And the next book, 1 Samuel, continues where the book of Ruth left off. God granted Israel a king. uh, And that first king was King Saul, but King Saul was not a righteous king. So God replaced him with David. And David, even in spite of his sinful nature, even in spite of the things that he did wrong, the Bible describes David as a man after David, after God's own heart. He's the root of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz. Do you know what I find startling when I read the Word of God? God always has a plan. He's always ahead of us. And sometimes we're so frustrated that, can't God see the big picture? May I just tell you, he does see the big picture. It's you who cannot see the big picture. And God knew that by Boaz's obedience, that Jesus would be born through this lineage. The book of Ruth opens with Israel without a king and ends with a man by the name of King David. The whole of scriptures begin with the triune God, the king of creation, and ends with the final kinsman redeemer. Christ Jesus will will one day be renowned through all of this earth. And that's going to take place when Jesus returns again. Boaz, he was a worthy godly kinsman redeemer to Naomi. It did not matter to him that it would cost him to buy Naomi's inheritance. There was no profit in this uh, for him in this transaction, except even he did not understand that one day he would be the heir to Jesus Christ by his obedience. So let me draw a couple lessons here, and I'll be finished with my message here very shortly. As I conclude the message and I think of some things that, that, that I studied over the last couple of weeks about this book of Ruth. It is, so it is with uh, Boaz's descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the cost to redeem or buy his people from the curse of sin and death. He bought us, redeemed us with something called his own precious blood. Similar to Boaz, Jesus Christ, he took a chance on us. He did what was right. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And because try as we might, we will never obey the law perfectly. But Jesus did obey God's law perfectly. The only person who has ever done that. And his steadfast love for his people is infinitely greater than Ruth's love and loyalty to Naomi. He left not only his father, but also the the glories of his home in heaven as he humbled himself. And may I just remind you that he surrounded himself with people that were so godly called tax collectors and publicans and people who were murderers, and thieves, and people who were outcasts of society, and people who had committed adultery, and people who were living with people they weren't even married to. May I just remind you that Jesus surrounded himself with some unlovely people. He was despised, and he was rejected by his own people. On the cross, he suffered the pains of hell, shame, and humiliation, and he had no redeemer to save him from death. In his darkest of agony, agony, 
Even the heavenly Father of heaven turned his back and Jesus screamed from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What amazing story of love and mercy he showed to you and to me. We who are unlovable, unworthy, undesirable, aliens and strangers are invited to come to Jesus in faith and repentance. Have you ever done that? Have you come to Jesus in faith and repentance? He's the restorer of life, for he not only restores our lives from emptiness to fullness and from bitterness to sweetness, but he also gives us something that is not here in this story in the book of Ruth that Boaz couldn't do. Jesus gives us eternal life. And I'm so thankful that I can stand before you and you who are seated that the vast majority you can say, I know I have eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm so thankful for Boaz and his sacrifice came with knowledge that Naomi had to be nourished in her old age and his son with Ruth will gain an inheritance. But our Lord knew his father's promise as a, a reward for his perfect obedience. May I just tell you that the contrast between, or, or the similarities between Boaz and Jesus is uncanny. Jesus understood that he was going to give us an inheritance, and it's called heaven. He purchased us through his precious blood. And that includes all of you who will repent and believe in him. He also knew that after death, he would be raised from the grave, and at the end, God will exalt him, and his name will be renowned in all of the earth. And his name is the name that's above every name. And as we heard this morning talking about a name, uh, we don't even know Mr. So-and-so. He rejected the opportunity to be a part of this inheritance. But Boaz stood up and he married a Gentile. He married a woman that has already been previously married. He took on Naomi's responsibility. And in him, Boaz is known. We talk about him today. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is a name we'll never stop talking about. He's not only the king of Israel like David, but he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is now king of all nations from where all people whom he has redeemed with his own blood on the cross. And sometimes we sit and we say, oh, that's good. And we keep the greatest story in all of the Bible a secret. Like it is something to be guarded. I'm here to tell you this morning it's something to be shared Jesus Christ. The drama that's in the book of Ruth is about Boaz and how he redeemed Naomi and Ruth from the lowest valley of their lives. But in the end, we know that there are not only uh, these three people, but there's a great part of the bigger story. That is the redemption of all of God's people and that is our Lord's inheritance that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Um, I wonder, do you know Jesus Christ personally? If we could just somehow open your heart, what would we see? You who believe are also part of this bigger drama of redemption. You're a part of this. You know, let me just share this with you. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we accept what he's done, that we are adopted into his family. Isn't that amazing? That you actually become part of this grand big picture called redemption only in Christ are we restored and maybe be reminded of what he has done because that is he is our redeemer if we'll accept him in faith and repentance what an amazing little tiny book 
that so much could be mined out. Is Jesus your kinsman redeemer? Have you trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Last week we ended with a similar, uh, similar story. And we had five people trust Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, including a husband and wife who were visiting with us for the first time. What a joy it was to speak with them about the decision they made. I ask you this morning, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money in your account or little money in your account. It doesn't matter if you come from, uh, from a family that has a, a big name or you come from a family that has no name. It doesn't matter if you're English or you're Spanish or you're some other culture. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Here's what does matter is that I see myself as a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only answer. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. All you have to do is accept it. So mom, do your children know that you're a godly mother because you're a Christian? Dad, do your children know that you're a godly parent because of your testimony of loving Jesus Christ? Husband and wife, do each other know that you love each other? Church, family, do we look around and we say, yes, look at this church of people who love Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you. It's time that we stop keeping a secret and we start sharing it. And we can do that over the next four weeks. Do you know there's a perfect opportunity to invite people to church? And on Friday and on Sunday, they're going to hear the gospel message. And they're going to hear about the importance of what the blood of Christ has done for every one of us. Let's all who name Jesus Christ our personal Lord and Savior get involved. Let's make a difference. And if you're visiting with us and you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we have a number of pastors and deacons and godly ladies in our church that would love to do this. We wouldn't want to give you our opinion, but we would certainly love to take God's word and show you from this book how you can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We would love to do that this morning. 